0: You don't like humans very much, do you? I can't say that I blame you. But tell me, are all of your kind as bad tempered as you? I have no kind.
1: Oh, fish rot! Welcome to the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld, H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick.
2: And I'm Julia.
1: And today we're talking about Minutes 31 through 32, which begin with Gregor explaining how he's not ready for them to leave, and they end with Gregor scoffing at the Mariner's assertion. Our special guests today are Andrew and Kester Dorowski of the Disney Animation Minute Essentials podcast.
3: Hi. Special, special, special guest. Yeah. That sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> not, not just guests unless you say it about everybody in which case at least it's as good as everybody else is getting
0: yes
2: well you're extra special because this is the first time that we have recorded together
3: mm-hmm. yes yeah. that is super true and i was super glad to see your contact because we were planning to reach out to you guys directly about guesting on the minutes of our next film because i'd often thought it's like man Rick and Julia sound great whenever I hear them on Lord of the Rings Minute. I need to get them on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we had just heard you on Lord of the Rings Minute for the last season. And Andrew's like, we really need to get them on for Dame. And then you guys reached out right before we were reaching out to you. So that's kind of awesome that you guys reached out to us first.
1: For our listeners who may not be acquainted with what you do, what is Dame?
3: So you said it correctly, like the first time usually people mess up the full acronym breakdown so dame is disney animation minute essentials and we're doing movies by minutes for disney animated films
0: we started off with snow white i don't know and if your was... listeners
3: are familiar with that concept
0: but... <laughs> uh yes <laughs> and that was three years ago over three years ago that we did Snow white And then we were interrupted by having children, and that took up more time than we were expecting. And now we have two children, and we are recording for our next season, three years later. It will start releasing by the end of the year. Yeah. Our next film that we're going to do is Disney's The Little Mermaid.
2: Which is perfect for us. It aligns very nicely with our movie. Synergy. Yes.
1: (laughs) With... Your first season being Snow White, it was really hard to find a justification to invite you on to a post-apocalyptic
3: <laughs> movie podcast. Well, it's only if you assume Snow White's taking place in the past. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing in the text that
1: says it's not a future post-apocalyptic kingdom.
0: <laughs> yeah. Walt Disney, when he started creating these fairy tale animated Full fe- full-length featured films, he wanted especially Snow White to be kind of timeless, so...
3: but well, probably not that timeless.
0: <laughs> yeah, probably not post-apocalyptic timeless.
1: Where your background is in Disney animation, when I brought Waterworld to your table and set it down in front of you, what kind of history did you have with this movie, if any?
3: Legitimately, not a ton.
0: Yeah, Um, I don't... Have you seen it? I I I, haven't
3: seen it. Yeah, I actually haven't watched the whole thing. So we're coming in cold on these minutes. We wanted to save it and be authentic and fresh with it.
0: We did read through the summary and, like, watch the trailer and and understand what is happening. So you don't have
3: to be afraid of spoiling it for us. But also, I mean, like, (laughs) it was a big movie. So, like, I've had awareness of it to some degree. Like, I knew... Gosh, I think some of this is just from, like, seeing it discussed on VH1's I Love the 90s, but, like, they talked about it, and so I knew some of the basic stuff. It's like, okay, Kevin Costner, he's, you know, the hero. He's a fish man. They're looking for land because everything is underwater. I'm like, okay, I can get it. Other than that, it's, like, big 90s adventure film. My only, like, significant exposure was I saw the stunt show at Universal Studios a couple years ago.
1: I am really jealous that you got to see the stunt show in person, because I have never gotten that opportunity.
0: Well, that was before we met, so I never saw yeah, it.
3: Yeah, so the story behind that was in college, in like my capstone course for my major, one of the big things that our professor did was he like pulled all his favors from three different departments, and he took 12 students to Hollywood for four days. The class was about Hollywood in the 20s and 30s, but it's like, ah, modern Hollywood counts. And so we went and just (laughs) did a bunch of tours. This is the ridiculous thing. Like, this should not have happened in college, where it's like, we're using university money to take them to Universal Studios for an entire day to ride Jurassic Park and watch the Waterworld stunt show, which was super cool. This was actually my first theme park experience, which seems weird because I do a Disney podcast. <laughs> I didn't go to a Disney park until after Kestra and I were We're married. We're married, yeah. And so Universal Studios in LA was my first experience, and so this was my first like stunt show spectacular, and it was awesome. Stunt shows are one of the coolest things. They had water and fire <laughs> and action, and it's like 30 minutes. Yeah, it's got a whole storyline to it from what I've read. Yeah, and they have, like, a backstage, like, it's a really cool little stage performance that they run several times a day. So if it is still going, I'd say, like, it's am, worth the trip for you guys.
0: I'm looking it up, and I'm having a hard time. There is a born Stunt show, but I'm trying to
3: make sure that's, that it replaced Waterworld. It's yeah. not, like, both of them going on. I bet it would have replaced it, because I can't imagine they would have set up another stage. Stage seems like the wrong term. When half of it is a pool, yeah. Yeah. If it is still there. It's a super cool experience. And that really is like my fundamental thing. And so I kind of had like this general affection for Waterworld because of seeing that show on that trip and having that experience. And like, I know I haven't seen Waterworld, but (laughs) that show was really great.
0: It is still showing up on the website. Now we are in the middle of a pandemic and Universal Studios is not open as far
3: as I'm aware. But they might still be doing the Waterworld show.
0: Yeah. It says runtime 20 minutes. It doesn't say closed or anything
3: <laughs>
1: Okay, necessarily.
0: I guess you
3: guys have to do it.
0: Okay.
1: I'll take hope. Yes. I mean, hope is a mistake. If you can't <laughs> fix what's broken, you'll go insane. But that's beside the point in this instance. <laughs> we don't need to worry about that right now. What we really have to worry about in a water world sense, and not so much us worrying, but the atollers in general, they have to worry about angering Gregor in such a way that he turns off their lights, which brings us into the top of this clip for today because Helen at the tail end of 15 showed up to Gregor. She's like, we got to get the heck out of there. They're going to cut us adrift. And Gregor's like, no, 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 no. You'll be fine because I have all of the electrical power on this atoll and I can turn off their lights if they make me mad. That's a lot of power.
2: Yeah. It's a pretty effective power move Mm -hmm. on his part. Literally. But these people seem superstitious. Yeah. So I'm not sure that that would be enough.
1: That was my major question. Is this enough of a threat to keep the mob from taking this little girl and throwing her out of the atoll?
2: That's a really tough call. Because what they're risking is power Mm -hmm. and lights and air circulation. Which are luxuries that a lot of people don't have anymore. And it only takes one night of camping for me to be like, I need power. I need a fan. I need to just be able to switch the lights on to see. Those are luxuries that we take for granted, but are really, really fundamental to our standards of comfort. Mm -hmm.
3: But in like post-apocalyptic environment, can you do without the luxuries? How much time did they spend without the luxuries? Yeah. That's and... where I get nervous about this situation.
1: Gregor can say, oh, I'm the only one who knows how to do this, but you know there's probably at least two or three people in the rabble that are thinking, oh, yeah, I can figure that out. Like, how complicated could it be?
0: Or watching him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people probably watched him or they're like, yeah, I'm pretty smart. I can
3: do this. Well, and like, how does Gregor know it? Because if he learned it, Someone else can learn it. Yeah. Like, yeah. E- everyone can be the first electrician.
0: E- yeah, <laughs> sure.
2: <laughs> so equating this to our modern world, there are a lot of people, sometimes including myself, in their jobs who think, okay, if I have this knowledge and I don't share it, that's job security for me. And how many times has that been proven wrong? That you get canned anyways and it's worth it to your bosses to have to figure out the things that only you knew to get rid of you.
3: Have you ever been the person that had to come in and figure out something that you're like, my predecessor had a system and they did not tell you guys what the system was, did they? Because <laughs> I've been in that position where it's like, ah, you can be the first one again.
2: I not as clear cut, but kind of. Yeah. But yeah, you
0: just work through
3: it. You figure mm-hmm. it out. Everyone's system came from having to solve a problem.
0: Yeah. I got my first cell phone for Christmas, my sister and I. And my dad was thinking he was going to have to teach us how to text. And within five minutes, my sister and I were texting each other on our new cell phones. I was like, 12. And my dad thought, he's like, wait, you already figured it out? Okay, let me show you how the camera function works. And I already figured it out. And I'm like, you don't need to tell me how to work this out. I already know how to do it. Because I'm smart.
2: Yeah. Humans are good at figuring stuff out. hmm problem-solving and coming up with solutions. The more we talk through it, the more I think that his ability to turn on the lights is not a protection for them.
1: And in the context of the story, he would only have to delay their murderous intent for a week, but Helen is not confident that they necessarily have a week to keep those rabble-rousers at bay. She wants to get out of there soon, and Gregor's big hang-up is that he doesn't know what direction to go once they leave the atoll, which is a huge detail and
3: one you definitely want to know before
1: you go out into the open ocean.
3: I mean, only if you're trying to find something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, getting away, right? Any port in a storm, that's like the terminology. If you've got to get away from something, you go and then you figure out the next step. Yeah. That doesn't seem like Gregor's style. No. no. He
0: wants to
1: know ahead of time. He is a trip planner. He is kind of like Julia. Yes. He wants to have an itinerary before we leave the house.
0: Hey, that sounds like Andrew. I was going to say, like, oh, wait a second.
3: i I'm sounding, Gregor sounded yeah. a lot more like me.
0: Yeah. Gregory seemed really offended that Helen was trying to convince him to look at the books again and figure it out. He's like, no, I've done it. We don't have a way out. I can't form a plan. Because there is nothing here. I can't look at these books for like the thousandth time.
1: Did you guys get a good look at the pile of books? Uh, they looked
3: like phone books. One of them was definitely a car manual.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so first and foremost, you've got the Tacoma, Washington, white and yellow pages.
0: So I was right. Mm-hmm.
1: Which are yes. not going to help you learn Mandarin Chinese or anything like that, which are the characters on Enola's back tattoo. He's also got a Haynes. Ford Mustang V8 1964 and a half to 1973 automotive repair manual from 1979. <laughs> uh,
2: that actually is probably useful.
1: It is available on eBay for $15. Because
2: in there is actually like how mechanical things work.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's mechanical engineering. Yeah. Like that might be how he got the electricity running. It's like, okay, like if I get these things to turn, that can generate power.
2: Right, the idea of alternators and batteries and gears and shifting. So
3: that one makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I really like that one.
3: The phone book makes a lot less sense. (laughs) The
1: only other book I was able to identify from this initial angle, on the bottom of the left stack, okay, second from the bottom on the left stack, there is a magazine, and that is an escapade magazine from May 1957. Escapade magazine, from what I was able to research. I didn't find anything definitive, which really bothers me when I can't find definitive things. But what I've come to understand is that it is a gentleman's magazine comparable to Playboy, yet vastly not as successful as Playboy.
3: (laughs) When you said escapade magazine, I was like, I bet I know what that is. Yeah. (laughs) I've never heard of it, but I have some suspicion. And I feel like that's a back-of-the-rack magazine. Mm
0: -hmm. So these books, in the post-apocalyptic year that this takes place, will be really, really, really old.
1: Mm -hmm. And especially valuable, because we all know what water does to
3: paper.
0: Yes. And how are these supposed to help them?
3: Also, it's the phone book. Phone book's on, like, Crummy oh. three times recycled newsprint. There's no yeah. way that's holding up no. for five hundred years, right? No. Have you ever seen a five hundred year old book on like good book <laughs> paper?
0: I mean we have what, a hundred year old book? We've
3: got some stuff that's like a hundred years old, and, and guess what? They're like, really old it's and falling super apart. Brittle and... and real dicey. I mean, I guess it's humid, so it's not so likely to get brittle, but humidity does its own damage.
2: Yeah, yeah. it should like warp and probably get moldy. hmm Yeah.
3: Can you imagine the mildew in Waterworld? Oh, oh everywhere. my
2: God. Oh, Gosh. gross. Yes. Ugh. Oh, so gross. Everything smells so bad in this world. Between fish and salt. But they're also probably used to it. Yeah. They have nose yeah, that, blindness. A
3: customization. Yeah. <laughs> but still, like, there, there's no way that, like, those books in particular, like, out of all the possible books, you know what you need? Okay, so when I was a kid, at my school library, I checked out a book. I checked it out specifically because it was labeled as an, quote, I can be read underwater book. <laughs> okay.
2: A waterproof book?
3: It said, I am an I can be read underwater book. And had a picture of a kid with a snorkel, partially submerged, reading his book. I did not read it underwater. <laughs> but that's the book that survives.
0: Yes. Hopefully.
2: <laughs> I do appreciate that the ford mustang repair manual is quite beat up because i think that that is the one that gregor actually uses
3: Mm -hmm.
1: it's likely the one that let him put together the windmill that supplies the power
2: so the phone book is virtually untouched and that seems appropriate
3: minimal utility from that yeah because like who are you gonna call
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh that brings up another question Can they read?
3: It's a good question. He must be able to read, unless he's just inferring from the diagrams, and that's how he's doing the mechanical engineering?
2: And that's entirely possible. It's also possible that Gregor can read, but it's not common. Not everybody can read.
1: If you've got a book, there's a non-zero chance that you know how to read. So his little pile here... He may be in charge of teaching the little atollers that run around tormenting adults how to read, so they have a baseline understanding.
2: Is this their library?
1: This might be the entirety of their library. With their Gentleman's
2: Magazine?
1: You know what? It's got to be somewhere.
2: Okay, let's cut back to that Gentleman's Magazine idea again. I actually question that a little bit, because the cover looks to be some kind of vase.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. That is not a vase. What is it? That is a depiction of a large decorated egg. You might remember it is the May 1957 edition. So if you moved the green cover book underneath the white pages, you would find that a suggestedly naked woman is popping out of the top of that egg.
2: Oh, my word. Okay. (laughs) That is so, so 70s. Hmm?
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, thank you for clarifying. Yep. So you found the actual cover?
1: I did. You can buy this issue of Escapade on eBay for $12.
3: So they're saying that this is more available or less important than the Ford repair manual.
1: Well, the Ford repair manual is almost 300 pages long.
3: Oh, okay. (laughs) This magazine, not so much. So per page, the value is considered to be significantly more. Right. I don't want to keep having that conversation. (laughs) That's going to get weird. What's the book that he breaks apart as he's frazzledly telling her? It's not in the books. One of them's, like, falling apart. Is that the manual? I think it's the sure manual. I'm pretty sure that's the manual, yeah. Which makes me real sad.
1: Yeah. Because it's- that is the most important one, so that's the one you don't want
3: to fall apart. I was hoping it was the phone book.
1: The phone book would be excellent, especially if Gregor did that thing where you half-fold the phone book in half and then are able to rip it with your bare hands. Keep
2: ripping. Yes. Yeah. Okay, production question. In reality is the Ford book so beat up because they had to do this scene a couple of times? (laughs) Where he's like flailing about with the book.
3: No, that's the last take. It (laughs) fell apart that time. It fell apart. (laughs)
2: This this one has to work.
3: (laughs) I mean, there's definitely situations where that occurs.
1: I love the idea of this take being the one where it finally fell apart. And they said, oh, that was the icing on the cake. That was the perfect instance that we needed to capture
3: yes i'd say nope there's a boom mic in the frame (laughs) (laughs) we gotta do it again
1: but there's nothing in these books because enola is the annunciation and gregor knows that so anybody who's familiar with christianity may recognize the term annunciation as the word used to describe the event where the angel gabriel comes to mary and says hey you're going to have a kid and you're going to name him Jesus and he's going to be super important, you know.
3: So we're taking it as annunciation in the sense of like announcing, announcement.
2: Yes. She is the announcement of something.
3: And a message kind of thing. Yeah.
2: She is the annunciation.
3: And not an enunciation, a
2: speaking clearly. It says.
3: Yeah. Again, message-based terminology. Yeah. <laughs> so it could kind of be either. This is the message or it's clarifying the message.
2: If they were using the enunciation form of the word, I don't think that her tattoo is very well enunciated because it's not clear to them. Mm -hmm. To them, the message is muddled. Mm. But it is an announcement. Yeah,
1: and Enola is the golden child, so to speak. She is the one that, oh gosh, we haven't talked about this because it hasn't been revealed in the movie yet, but she came to the atoll floating in a basket full of dirt. She
3: moses her way into Helen's life. Yep. <laughs> this is some pretty heavy Moses-Jesus Superman imagery.
2: Exactly. Yes, yes it is.
1: Exactly. And Gregor is so certain that Enola is the key, so he's not willing to pour through the books again.
3: Mm-hmm. If it's okay to jump ahead a moment, I was curious, like, about the use of enunciation, because I'm curious about the use of another word Mm -hmm. in this minute. (laughs) And so I'm just, like, curious. I'm like, are they using words the same way we use these words? And that's the word isotropic.
1: Oh, yeah. I spent a lot of time looking that one up. When we get out to the cage, we can talk about that for sure.
0: All right.
1: Okay. Great. Isotropic?
0: Okay,
2: I didn't notice The use of that word.
1: I write this stuff down for you. I
2: know, and I read it, but okay, I see it. It just didn't bother me. I heard it. It just didn't bother
1: me.
3: Other fancy words, vestigial. Mm -hmm. That seems like it's being used appropriately.
2: Yeah.
1: All of these big words, they make me feel a little bit dumb, so I have to look them up. But Gregor shares my pain because his inability to decipher the tattoo has him saying that he is a stupid man, and I feel like he's judging himself too harshly. And it goes back to the old adage, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it's
3: stupid. That's exactly what I was thinking about, was like, well, you know, like, have a fish climb a tree, can't do it. Yeah,
1: where is Gregor <laughs> supposed to learn Chinese characters? It's just not a thing. Needs more
3: books. Yeah. He doesn't have the books. He doesn't have to beat himself up about it. Being smart doesn't mean you know all of the things, right? Like, mechanical engineering and linguistics. Pretty different. Two vastly different professions. Yeah, yeah. And he seems to have, like, a pretty decent understanding of biology, too. So, like, he's covered in a few different domains.
1: But sometimes it takes a suggestion from the most unlikely of places to push people in a positive direction. And that's what we get with Enola. Ew. Saying, maybe he knows. And Gregor takes that to go visit the Mariner. Julia does not like Enola. I
2: don't
0: like Enola.
3: (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) I I was unsure what the ew was. I was like, I don't know what that's about.
0: Yeah, me either.
3: But it's just flat out. Distaste I, for the child.
0: I mean, it is, I haven't it watched is. the film in its in, entirety, in this, so... In, in
3: this minute, in these two minutes, I'm like, I feel like there's very little to notably dislike about her. Yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't mean there's not <laughs> something you, in other minutes.
2: Do you have specific reasons for not liking her? I do. It's hard to remember them right now, because you're right. This minute doesn't really provide <laughs> any fuel for my fire.
1: Well, we do know that you don't like referring to children's doodles as art
2: right they're doodles they're not art
1: so there's that
2: and that applies to all doodlage (laughs) not just kids but especially to kids because they have no intention i think art is about intention but anyways (laughs) this
1: this is an (laughs) ever-evolving subject as we go through this movie
3: i don't think i should like instigate any sort of follow-up comment (laughs) or question because then It becomes a significant debate about what is the nature of art.
2: I know, it's a really hard argument to make.
3: And everyone's going to have vastly different opinions, and it's really going to be opinion-based, so I don't want to get into that one. Yeah,
2: The point for me is that I don't care for her doodles, and with this minute and this statement, it's the whole out-of-the-mouths-of-babes thing, (laughs) and this golden child thing, sorry, but she's not special. She had nothing to do with the tattoo getting on her back. She had nothing to do with arriving in a basket full of dirt. She is not a special child.
3: You're saying the canvas has nothing to do with the art that's upon it?
2: She had nothing to do with putting it there. If she had participated in putting the tattoo on her back, either by decision (laughs) or design or whatever, fine. She had nothing to do with it. She (laughs) is not special. She
1: inherited this tattoo. She didn't do any hard work to deserve it.
2: Yeah. She's a trust fund baby. So it's annoying to me that she's not participating in the scene. And all of a sudden she's like, oh, maybe he knows. And she's got this brilliant idea that moves the plot forward. Like, gosh, I wonder who already had that idea. Maybe Helen already had that idea. But no, we're going to follow through with that idea because the golden child said so.
3: I would have to watch this movie to see if this ire is really... yeah is really backed up. It's
2: probably just (laughs) me, and I am okay with that if nobody agrees with me. I'm perfectly fine with people liking Enola.
3: Because, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's fine if a kid has an idea. Kids have ideas sometimes. I was a kid. I had ideas. Aside from kids (laughs) and art and all that other stuff, you
1: two definitely need to sit down after this. Not directly after this, but sometime when you have three hours. And watch the full (laughs) extended version. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. It's
1: worth it. Absolutely. (laughs) I want to pivot since we're talking about things that we like and don't like. What is the general vibe about Gregor's
3: windmill powered flashlight setup? Watching the movie, I was like, oh, he's got a little turbine on his head as he's walking. It's generating wind power. And that's what's powering his flashlight. Like, I was able to piece that together. I was like, I think I see what's going on here. And I thought that was dope.
2: I love it so much.
3: The flashlight seems to be operating whether or not he's moving. So we just have to count on there being appropriate air power in general. But I'm kind of into it. I don't know. So Andrew likes it. Julia likes
1: it. Kestra, you're on the fence.
0: I didn't really pay that close attention to what it, Wait, you what it you was. you he just had a
3: pinwheel <laughs> on, his, on his hat just, for I entertainment? Like, I didn't
0: have... focus on that. I didn't focus on it. But now that we're talking about it, I think I like it. Yeah,
1: but I don't want you to feel peer pressured into liking the pinwheel hat.
0: No, but listening to it, I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. If it worked, my question
2: is, does this device have a place in our world?
3: I'm super in favor of wind power and solar power, so sure, put more windmills up, guys. Put more small windmills. Yeah, just on yeah. everyone's property. Like every fence should be lined across the top with tiny windmills to generate as much minuscule power as you can to just defer the overall energy expense a little bit. Yeah, every little bit helps. We don't need a ton of big windmills. We need like thousands and thousands and millions of tiny windmills.
2: Yeah. It reminds me of camp radios where you crank it to like charge some power on it and then it'll play for a little while.
3: Uh Uh Uh-huh. Or I've had a flashlight that does it.
2: Yeah, flashlights do the same thing. So instead of cranking it, You have this fan on your head, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, yeah, it looks goofy.
3: If I had to guess, probably from a a 1960s Mustang.
2: Yeah. 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 (laughs) 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 And especially places that are perpetually windy, mostly coastal areas, I think Mm -hmm. it would work the best. But yeah, I think this could have a place in our society.
3: My only significant concern, and it's because you brought up the like hand cranked, camp radio or like the flashlights that you're supposed to have for emergency kits is if you've ever let one of those sit and then you start cranking it, it is hard because the electromagnetic resistance builds up. And so if that little fan is spinning that fast, like this thing's got to be like pretty fully charged. Mm. There is no backlog of energy need on this. So he must just keep this running like pretty steadily. Because if you've ever cranked one of those after it's been sitting for six months, like this is a pain in the butt to crank.
1: Leave it on a shelf and just spin it every so often. Or he's
3: got a really nice gear ratio or something on it.
2: Yeah. We don't believe they have the ability to store power Mm -hmm. in battery form. So letting it run wouldn't necessarily do them any good, but it might be healthier to let it keep running than to stop it and start it.
3: For that turnover cost of getting something started up. Right. I dig the little cat fan with the light. Also... It's a decent aesthetic for him, right? Mm-hmm. It it suits his total vibe. Yeah.
2: It does. It's very um, Mad Professor.
3: It's very Doc Brown.
2: Yes, Doc Brown is very accurate.
1: He's my go-to facsimile or <laughs> close comparison. That might be a better way to word it. Anyway, something that is not nearly as aesthetic as the pinwheel hat is what we see illuminated by the flashlight Gregor is holding, and that is specifically the mariner's webbed toes because they look so mm,
3: grody. Is a word Uh, that I want to use. Okay. Do you want to know my big issue with them? Okay, let's hear it. Please. This is my big issue. It looks like the webbing is going over his toenails. It does not look like he can clip.
0: Yeah. And if you
3: if you have a chance, like go back and look, and like maybe his big toe. But it really looks like it's like no, they just like smeared the gunk over the top, yeah, and it, didn't even try the, it, because like he's got to be able to clip him,
0: yeah. And it really, it really looks like a fetus, like you see pictures of what a like, fetus would look like, like not inside, fully developed, like not fully developed, and it's got all it, the extra. Yeah, it yeah. looks like that. It doesn't really look like, like I was like Is that really supposed to be webbed? Mm-hmm. That doesn't really look webbed. It just doesn't look fully developed.
1: Yeah, Yeah. like the toes haven't fully emerged from the foot.
0: Yes. Yeah,
3: it's not like quite developed or it's got like membrane on it, but not membrane in it. Also, I don't know the last time like you did some swimming with like a flipper on, but like you need a significant amount of increased surface area to really get some benefit, like mm-hmm. a little bit of webbing between your toes. Like my toes stay pretty close together when I'm swimming. I don't feel like yeah. I'm losing too much power. Webbed hands, much bigger.
2: I have a pair of flippers that I swim with for exercise, and the flipper part, like the length on them, is pretty short. They're workout flippers.
3: Yeah. I did swim team. I had workout flippers. Yeah. You buy the big long one, and then your coach cuts off <laughs> 90% of it. <laughs> and that's what you're left with, and it's like this firm rubber thing. Yeah. But like, even when you've got a little bit, it doesn't do that much. And even when you've got a lot, it doesn't do that
1: much yeah Yeah. we're gonna see the mariner swim essentially like a torpedo later in this movie pretty fast guys and you cannot crank out Uh that sort of speed with just a little bit of webbing like Uh -uh. this
2: no his superpower are the gills
3: does it unfold once he hits the water Oh, oh that would
2: be amazing if they like extended Ugh. under the water. It'd be disgusting. That'd be right? so <laughs> creepy,
3: but it'd be a much better like scenario yes. for it. Oh.
2: Yeah. It'd also be evolutionarily more interesting because web toes are pretty common. They, oh, they yeah. happen.
3: Yeah, people got
1: them.
2: I looked up some pictures.
1: One in 2,500 live births have webbed toes. Actually, it's called syndactyly. Specifically, syndactyly of the feet is when the toes are connected. But syndactyly can happen in hands where they just don't split when the body is forming. And so the doctors have to go in after the fact and split the toes and the fingers
3: apart. Yeah. 2,500. Not 25,000. 2,500? One in 2,000 to 2,500. That means that you have almost certainly met somebody. hmm who had their digits split. Oh, yeah. By the doctor.
2: I had a friend growing up who had web toes.
3: Just think about all the people that you have known, but didn't know that that You've happened. You've never
0: seen their feet, right? You've
3: never <laughs> or, well, seen or, that or, or that you didn't know that the doctor did the yeah. the snipping. What if they didn't know? Do you think you would tell your kids? Would you
2: tell our children? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys are more equipped to answer this than us.
3: Uh, probably. I'd like, this is a
0: question for, for you. I think I would tell our children.
3: Because that's a great two tricks and a lie. Yeah, yeah.
0: With our son who was born, there was some stuff that happened in the like hospital. V- very
3: and, mild complications, a little bit of jaundice. Yes, and like oxygen depletion, but not even like. But full I'm sure on.
0: we're we're gonna talk about it, especially because like. Well, we got all those pictures on, had, of him
3: on the phototherapy bed, yeah, and we and that, also that had, looks yeah, like a little a, alien. Baby. An
0: awful nurse, <laughs> and like, which contributed to our. Awful hospital uh. stay, and so like we're gonna obviously tell our children about right those about are that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're stories.
2: And my mother's family runs a sixth digit on one hand. Oh, so it's like a family point of pride if you were born with it and had it removed. I did not. My mother had it, and I have a cousin who had it.
3: You didn't have it, or you didn't have it removed. <laughs>
2: I didn't have it. <laughs> and then my nephew was born with his tongue like still attached underneath and he had to get clipped. Mm. And I think he knows about it. I don't think he cares, but those are the interesting things. Yeah. The weird stuff that kids are born with. Yeah.
1: So if you're in a room with two thousand people, there is a good chance that one of them had that procedure done as an infant. Yeah. Every
3: significant sporting event you've ever been to, there's been mm-hmm. dozens of them.
0: Every yeah. park you go to?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, as far as the <laughs> Mariner situation here, interdigital webbing is the technical term for what he's got here. And it's very common in mammals that spend most of their lives in water. Creatures like beavers and otters. Mm-hmm. We mentioned earlier in our conversation uses of complicated words. Gregor is talking, oh, they're webbed. He counts off the toes. He sees 10 digits. That's wonderful. And then... Gregor says, they tell me too that you have gills, isotropic gills. Are they merely vestigial or functional? Isotropic
3: is nothing.
1: So I looked up the definition of isotropic, and something is isotropic when it has physical properties with the same value when measured in different directions. I can only suppose that when Gregor says that the Mariner has isotropic gills, is he's trying to say that the Mariner has symmetric gills? he's got the same number of gills on both sides
3: of his head. That's gotta be the only thing.
2: Maybe those conditions are required to make them functional. Maybe. Maybe if they were not the same on both sides, then they wouldn't be functional. Mm. But does he see both sides or does he only see one side?
3: And so like the way he refers to it, it's as though it's like a specific type of gill. Yeah. Because then he talks about vestigial versus functional.
1: And of course, in biology, when something is vestigial it is degenerate, rudimentary, or atrophied, having become functionless over the course of evolution. For instance, the human appendix mm-hmm. is mostly vestigial. Also, uh, wings on an emu, and if you look at whales, they have hind leg bones that are mm-hmm. present in their bodies, but they don't actually pop out to be legs.
3: And some snakes can show up with vestigial legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, there's a bunch of vestigial things, but it seems like... The usage of it is typically that it is like a leftover evolutionary trait. Yeah. The species used to have these, or proto-species used to have these, and in the case of this situation, it seems like this would need to be like a new evolutionary feature, Yeah, not a underused evolutionary leftover. Do you suppose that Gregor is saying
1: this because he assumes that the Mariner can trace his line specifically back to fish
3: and the fish became man as opposed to man becoming fish. I mean, that's the implied terminology when he says ichthyosapien is like wise fish. That's the sapien part is like the wise, right?
1: Because ichthyosapien, we heard it it back in the big group meeting, but it's just a fancy way of saying fish man.
3: Yeah. So if you're using like the Latin-based binomial nomenclature for species identification, like that does imply... A fish that has developed into humanity mm-hmm. and not a human that has developed into fishiness. Like that's the implication of it, because all of the like evolutionary predecessors to humans are Homo erectus, Homo whatever. And then you get to Homo sapiens sapien. And it's like, yeah, like this is the wise man instead of the erect man. Yeah. And so this is the wise fish as opposed to the fish fish.
1: So when you say the Sapien, it's a better descriptor of like Abe Sapien from Hellboy or the creature from Shape of Water.
3: Yeah, that's the, yeah. the fish that became man-like as opposed to the man that became fish-like. That's always been my understanding of it. Technically, like the mythology for Abe Sapien is a man that became fish-like, but the identification of him in that form is saying like, this is a fish-man, not a man fish so it would probably be more accurate to say that the mariner is a homo ichthys. I don't know enough Latin to say it might be homo ichthian. Yeah. To make it like adjective
1: form. I really hope someone that's well versed in Latin is listening right now and tearing their hair
3: out. <laughs> yeah, it might be. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to like break it down, or if there's like a different adjective for fish-like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, homo ichthys would be. The same, like, original species in line with the evolutionary line. Mm-hmm. All the modifiers have been like the one who stands up, erect, right? Erectus, and then sapien, like, the wise one, the thinking one. And so, what would be like the water breathing?
1: Yeah. Homo
3: aquatus? Or Homo aquas? You've been
1: doing a lot of little mermaid stuff lately. Where do they fall in all of this?
3: Best we can tell, we're not sure because it's super <laughs> messy because, like, there's they don't definitive- have gills. We suspected that maybe the tail fringe is oh, yeah. gill space. So their gills are at their hips. Oh, They definitively have hair, pointed out by a guest recently, and that really got me. I was like, <laughs> are they mammals? Like, well, she's got hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so definitely mammals. And so the mermaid seems to be a mammal because it has hair, but most mammals don't have scales. And no mammals have gills. All mammals have lungs, and no so they like sort of amphibian. remain underwater for forever. Yeah, and these indefinite periods of time. You know, even whales have a time limit. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of pretty messy territory. It's like, well, there's these qualities that are very mammalian, and qualities that are very ichthyan, and qualities that are very amphibious or semi amphibious, at least because it's unclear for Ariel the little mermaid whether or not she can, like, default breathe on land pretty extensively, or if it's, like, comparable to dolphins diving underwater. Yeah. Mm. But so it's, like, possibly amphibious? So amphibians can have gills and lungs. I think that's how amphibians work. Man, biology's crazy, guys. Yeah. The
1: Mariner is probably most closely related to the characters from the Aquaman series from DC Comics, mm-hmm. where they look humanoid, but they can breathe and talk underwater, but also do the same on land. You could have a future Aquaman movie and have Kevin Costner as a character, even though he was technically already Pa Kent in the Superman movies, but I digress. <laughs> yeah, and have him as the Mariner,
3: and Aquaman would be like, hey, Mariner, and he could be like, hey, Aquaman, and go on their ways. Except that Aquaman doesn't have any evident gills. Yeah, that's true. Or webbing. For that matter. Not that we saw, as I can recall, any close-ups of the Atlantean feet.
1: But he can still swim really fast. So that's another thing they have in
3: common. The human-aquatic hybrid.
0: Well, it's not a thing, so it's just all (laughs) mythical.
3: But we gotta come up with names for when it becomes a thing, right? It's only a matter of time. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's like Gregor says, if there aren't others, there will be
3: eventually. (laughs) Yeah. So that's like the weird thing to try and draw on for this is like, okay, but like, so far, no mammals have ever developed gills. And so all the gill havers are fish or amphibians, and so mammals are three steps removed instead of one step removed from developing that particular thing. I mean, I was... If any of the mammals had developed gills, then it'd make more sense that in 500 years, Kevin Costner shows up with with
0: gills and wet feet,
3: and it's like, oh yeah, like, got it.
0: Well, evolution, like, they, they could change, and then I was like, but... But dolphins it's, and whales... It's, it's and so long and... No mammals have have gills. So how would humans but we, but be able to evolve like, to be able to have gills and webbed feet?
3: But there's definitely like the possibility of the weird evolutions. Just look at the platypus. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the least mammalian mammal.
0: <laughs> yes.
3: And has those weird attributes where it's like mimicked other stuff, like ducks and laying hard eggs. Actually, I don't know if platypus eggs are firm but it lays eggs yeah
0: platypus is a weird animal
3: it's super messed up and so like if the platypus can do that stuff like then i guess maybe it's not as many steps away as i'm theorizing but like i could definitely imagine frogs being like we're just ditching the lungs it's all gills now (laughs) (laughs) i've brought this up in the past and we haven't
1: gone into it in depth because i am saving it for when the credits are rolling but they did make a comic book to follow up this movie. And in the first couple of pages of the comic book, there is a image that could suggest that the reason the Mariner has gills is because of genetic tampering by scientists, not on him specifically, mm-hmm. but in someone in his lineage that before the world completely flooded, there were scientists that were doing crazy movie science experiment stuff to turn people into fish.
3: That tracks a lot more easily because like scientists mm-hmm. can do some really like, I'm going to call it messed up stuff. Yeah. Have you ever seen the mouse with a human ear growing out of its back?
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. Ooh.
3: It's extremely upsetting. Yeah. Kestra has not seen it. This is the first time she's ever heard of it and she's making the weirdest face <laughs> and I'm tempted to pull up the image of it, but I don't think that's the kind of live audio that you need. Yeah. <laughs> you save that for a special occasion. <laughs> <laughs> And so if you've got that sort of tampering, then jumping the steps makes a lot more sense Yeah. than the significant transition in the matter of hundreds of years. Mm. Like, yeah, that tracks. I mean, there's some cool stuff, too. Like the pets that they can make glow with bioluminescence. Yeah. Like, that stuff's like, all right, that seems fairly benign. I can probably get behind that. Yeah, it doesn't seem to hurt them. Mouse ear, not so much.
2: <laughs> but with human genetics, you're right. They can do some very cool things now. And- I haven't looked this up, so this may not be 100% factual, but my memory serves that is it Japan, or no, it was China. Of course it was China, who recently in the past year or so genetically modified a fetus to be HIV resistant. I didn't
1: hear about that. Oh, it
2: was a huge uproar because the world has not approved gene editing on humans. Mm -hmm. It's not something we get to do yet. And they just flouted all moral norms and just did it anyways and it had good results except that we don't have testing for this stuff we don't know what editing a gene to be hiv resistant can do for the rest of her
3: yeah there's a lot of like potential stuff yeah because most genes are not isolated
2: because we haven't tested it because we don't do testing on humans so, we don't know if this stuff works and what its consequences are. So, there's a huge uproar in the last like year
0: or two. And then you have like the whole breeding part of animals and science. And Andrew and I just took our daughter for her birthday to see a museum with taxidermy animals. One of them was a liger. And we talked about how animals that are bred between different species uh,
3: mm-hmm.
0: can't reproduce.
3: Yeah, they're typically infertile.
0: But even as you're creating a whole new species that can't reproduce Propagate. and it's so so weird and
3: just well and science. The, yeah. So if that's how you get fish people, like that's going to be an extensive thing. To bring it back to what we're actually <laughs> talking about and the genetic manipulation and everything like it gets pretty extensive To go back to um, what you were talking about, Julia, with the genetically modified human, it's still unclear what that's going to do, potentially, heredity-wise. Is that going to carry through? Is that now a thing that could be spread, you know, 500 years from now? Is that going to be a common thing? Because, like, it was a genetic advantage. It was just manufactured instead of evolved. That's the term.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All this talk about selective breeding, it's reminding me of the Deep Ones from... The Shadow Over Innsmouth by H.B. Lovecraft. There is a race of what are essentially fish people living by this coastal Maine or Massachusetts town. It's Lovecraft, so it's one of those.
3: Lovecraft's been fish people. I was like, that doesn't narrow it down a ton.
1: Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But getting back into the scene proper, Gregor is so excited about having the Mariner in such close proximity. He is giddy with laughter at the prospect of seeing these gills and the mariner is not having it
0: also his laughter (laughs) does sound kind of evil like it sounds almost malicious to me
3: the way he laughs is just really creepy i get the sense that gregor doesn't laugh around other people a lot he does a lot of his laughing on his own
0: and then gregor goes and he's like oh you don't trust humans you don't like humans do you i don't blame you and then he still insults him and he's like, but is all your kind this bad-tempered? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Like, you just said that he doesn't trust you. Like, it's not necessarily that he's bad-tempered. It's just that he, he doesn't trust you, necessarily.
1: Lock someone in a cage. They're going to be ill-tempered.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and then he's still, like,
2: I feel like he's poking the bear here. And he already excused his behavior. Like, yeah, don't worry. I get it. Of course you don't like humans. And then he continues to poke at him. Mm -hmm. It's so bizarre. Yeah.
1: And it is such a setup that Gregor hands the Mariner. He says, oh, (laughs) tell me about all of your kind And the Mariner. I think it's an 80-yard line because you don't see the Mariner's mouth move. That's
3: what it felt like.
1: He says, I have no kind. And I love how quickly Gregor fires back with, oh, fish rot, which is an excellent example of old man cursing.
2: (laughs) It really is.
1: (laughs) But, oh, it's another example of the Mariner just being so edgy. I have no kind. I'm going to go to the mall after this, and I'm going to shop at Hot Topic.
2: (laughs) And Gregor is right. There's no way there's only one of him. Yeah. First of all, he came from parents.
1: Did he not hear one in 2000?
2: Yeah. (laughs) At least one of his parents had these same, I don't want to call them deformities. Qualities? Yeah, these same physical qualities.
3: Potentially they're recessive, and so potentially not.
2: That's true. But then somebody had to have them.
3: Yeah, like, but it By means somebody. Or... Somebody had Yeah, so somebody had to. it might come to. down to just, like, maybe he doesn't know his family. Like, maybe he's not connected to his family. Maybe his family's all dead. And so he doesn't have any stories about, yeah, you've got the same stuff that your grandpa had.
0: Or, like we said, it's all scientific.
3: Mm-hmm. But it feels like there are more of him. Mm-hmm. Considering all of the situations that are going on, it's like, it seems like he's probably not the only one. It's a big, wide, wet world. One could almost call it a water
1: world. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. So there's got to be more out there. There's probably some way for me to curtail this into a parody of a Little Mermaid song about the great wide world. But it's not coming to me right now. I'm sorry. I know I've done it in the past.
3: And you would think that they're setting... Enough of it up where you aren't really concerned about it in this movie, but if they made a sequel and be like, okay, like maybe he's going to find more Mm -hmm. or there's going to be something about it because that's what they usually do with these things. Like, oh, you're the only one. You're special. Yeah, but now you've warmed up to people. So now we're going to find out that you're not as special and you do have other people. It's like, but I just got my surrogate family. What (laughs) do I need my real family for? And there's always conflict like that. We've seen it a million times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. One last thing before we do like leave the minute. I had one other thing I wanted to say, which was I liked the energy that was coming out of these minutes. I'm like I I am kind of excited to watch the movie because it's got like a really and I don't think anyone talks about this, but like a mid '90s fantasy adventure vibe mm-hmm. that you don't get after a certain time period. And I was thinking of things like Dragonheart or Hook or Neverending Story, but it's like this mid '90s fantasy adventure I kind of miss that like I really liked Dragonheart when I was a kid like it's a good vibe and it's not like its own genre the same way westerns or superhero movies or spy movies is but like there's a certain feel to it yeah from that mid-90s times where it's like we don't really have that much CGI so we've got to be pretty practical like there's a lot of gasoline explosions and like this is a lot of Spielberg kind of stuff but like there's a lot of practical fire Mm mm-hmm and That's kind of got, like, a certain tone. Yeah, a charm to it.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. There is a charm to the mid-90s-ness of this
0: movie.
1: It's a product of its era. Mm. (laughs) Well, that brings us to the end of these minutes. Andrew and Kester, thank you so much for joining us. This was a blast.
0: Yeah, thanks for having us.
1: Could you do us a favor? Because it's always good when two drifters meet out on the open oceans of internet podcasting that something's exchanged. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about Dame, where they can listen, et cetera?
3: Yeah. So all the typical podcast, I was going to say locations, but <laughs> like digital collectors, the atolls of podcastum. Nice. That's, that's the right terminology, right? Yeah. For a movie I haven't <laughs> seen that counts. <laughs> yeah. Look for Disney animation minute essentials. And then there's the social media resources with, our handle being DizMinute, at DizMinute. And then if you want to go on Facebook, you can search for the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society, or DAMSELS group. Um, <laughs> we had to do a little bit of a stretch to <laughs> to get the acronym right, but we got it.
0: Yeah, um, we looked through that. We're like, okay, what can we do for yeah. an acronym wait, for our wait, Facebook page? DAMSELS. If
3: we got the Listener Society, we can, you know,
1: just like Star Wars. It took quite a bit. As for us, we will be coming back next time. We will see the Mariner try to get a lockpick. The Enforcer will chase Gregor away, and the sun will rise on a new day. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
2: Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Toohey, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures.
1: Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com.
2: Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute.
2: And like us on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone.
1: If you'd like to support the podcast, visit Patreon.com slash MadMaxMinute.
2: Thank you for joining us for Waterworld episode 16. We'll see you next time.